What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, we've got Will Ritter back on the show. Will is the founder, co-owner, and lead designer for Spark R&D, which is a manufacturer of splitboard bindings and splitboard accessories based in Bozeman, Montana. And it's kind of wild. I had a fantastic conversation with Will back in 2018. My, how the time flies. And we actually published that Gear 30 podcast as two episodes. I really encourage you to go back and check that conversation out. We'll put a link to both of those episodes in the show notes to this episode because Will dropped some fantastic knowledge about what it is and what it's like to start a company, a company that does anything or everything. So there were lots of nuggets of wisdom in that conversation. And then it's also going to be really interesting to kind of compare what Will was talking about then in terms of the state of the splitboard world and what Will is kind of seeing and talking about now in splitboarding. The other thing we do in this conversation is tease out some of the similarities and some of the differences between the ski touring world and the splitboard touring world and communities. Of course, we also talk about some of the latest developments at Spark R&D and some of the latest products. And Will is really good at talking about all of it. This episode of Gear 30 is presented by Mountain Flow Echo Wax. And while I am actually in Iceland, still skiing right now while you are hearing this, so I have yet to put my skis away for the season, but I know many of you have. And if you're in that camp, then I would encourage you to go to mountainflow.com and check out their tutorial on off-season ski and board storage. And now let's go ahead and get to my conversation with Will. And for those of you who might be interested in working with Will at Spark R&D, pay close attention to the end of this conversation because Spark R&D is hiring and they're looking for some proper candidates. So Pay attention to the end. Maybe you'll end up in Bozeman building cool stuff. So, all right, with that, let's get to it. Well, Will, how are you today and where are you today? Well, I'm pretty good and I'm at my house here in Bozeman, Montana, where we got like six inches of of heavy snow this morning, which I thought about shoveling when I left <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I'm just done. I'm just done shoveling, you know, and it, uh, it did all melt off by lunchtime. So I didn't waste my time shoveling oh. the driveway. <laughs> good, good for you. Those are the, those yeah. are the tough calls to make to shovel like, or not to shovel. I know. And it's like, I know if I shovel today, I do have to mow the lawn like tomorrow and I just can't do that much like yard work in that short of time. <laughs> so it's well, that transitional time of year when it might be dumping or it might be 70, you know, it's kind of anybody's guess. Well, we're talking, it's May 9th. I guess my first question, what is the current state of the backcountry right now in your neck of the woods? Are 
are you still getting out and touring or are we fully transitioned or are people in seasonal confusion? Where are we? Um, it is. Yeah, you can definitely still go shred. I mean, I'm sure a bunch of people were psyched to get up today and make some, you know, maybe the last kind of pow turns of the year. Um, unless you're like way, way up at altitude, but in terms of just, you know, this time of year, like you can go to Bridger Bowl and skin right up cause it's on a national forest lease. So the, you know, drive to the bottom of the skin track and ride back to the car area <laughs> is, is open right now. So, um, yeah, you can definitely still, still shred some pow, you know, maybe the day it snows or the day after if the sun doesn't come out and then it's wet slide city and we still, you know, it's still working on baking down to that, like corn, you know, summer snowpack. So it was looking pretty bad, like when the resort shut down and then we've had a lot of snow since then. And so I think the, the summer season will go along here pretty well, hmm. um, better than last year. Cause like last year it just may hit and it was just like sixties and seventies the whole month and it, everything washed out like really fast. So, hmm. um, I want it to stick around, not <laughs> just for snowboarding, but for fire season. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I'm, I, we're real happy to see some more precip because we had a low, we had a low snow year, like the, you know, Bridger typically reports around, I don't know, 300 inches of snow in season. And this year it was 150. Huh. And some of that was like preseason, then full melt off, then it started snowing again. So it was like, it was, it was real thin, you know, we we're hitting stuff hmm. all year. Um, so happy for the late, late season snow. Um, yeah, just for touring season can go late and then, um, and then, yeah, hopefully things stay green longer. Well, for those who might not know, maybe I should at this point ask you to give the overview or synopsis on this, uh, company of yours, Spark R and D. Who are you all? What do you do? Yeah. So Spark R and D, we make splitboard bindings and accessories. We've been doing it since 2006, so we're into year 16 at this point, which is hard to believe that <laughs> our little company could now get its driver's license or whatever. But yeah, started you know started with me, um, you know, and and you know just me and a laptop back in the day, and now it's up to two buildings, 87 employees, wow. like you know 24/7 operations and whatever. So yeah, we do you know. To the reason we have that headcount is because we make almost everything here. Um, you know, we buy off the shelf parts like fasteners and, and things like that, but everything else in terms of all the machining, all the injection molding, anodizing, which is the putting the colors on the parts, printing, assembly, quality control, all that stuff happens here at Spark. So we are, you know, a pretty darn vertically integrated uh, binding manufacturer here in the U.S. Hmm. Um, probably the most <laughs> the most integrated one of any snowboard binding company um, in terms of how much of the stuff we make ourselves. So yeah, that's what we do here. But yeah, we concentrate on we all of our our businesses for splitboard bindings. We have adapters, so you could ride them on your solid board if you want to, but that's not our focus. It's all on on splitboarding. So hmm. some recent news while we're talking about kind of the evolution of the company, you guys had a pretty big announcement. Was it just this past week? Yeah. Well, this past week we did the the press release on the building we bought in back in October, but it kind of took us between now and then to get it into full use. And so when we, you know, it was 
we really missed out for our reality TV show that doesn't exist last year. <laughs> um, like trying to buy, trying to buy realist commercial real estate in Bozeman. Uh-huh. You know, there was another building down the street, and we made an offer, and then they took somebody else, and then that fell through, and then they took our offer. And in the meantime, I approached the guys across the street, and you know the the nice guy over there was ready to move on if I made him an offer on his building and stuff like that. So. Lots of building drama, but yeah. long story short, we, we, you know, closed on the building in October and then it still had, uh, some tenants in part of it. And then the other side was just like bare sheetrock and, you know, the office that was in there was all like pegboard on the walls and smelled like gas. They're fixing lawnmowers in there and stuff. So lots and lots of, um, of updates to get it up to snuff. So it's, you know sheetrock taping and painting and pulling pulling back stuff off the walls and finding a bunch of box elder bugs running around all over the place and <laughs> taking off the siding and finding rotted beams that had to be you know replaced so it's like this old commercial building you know here here in bozeman you know it's a it's a 19 i think it's a 1980 1978 something huh. like that so anyway got that all churched up but yeah it's uh now it's so half that building is devoted to like our our um, sales at, sales and marketing department is housed in there. So like all of our finished goods are in there um, where the guys can pick and pack all our orders and ship them off all over the place. And then, um, yeah, the guys are doing all of our marketing, graphic design, sales, customer service stuff in that side. And then the other half of the building um, is going to be a new office space for um, my wife, Becca, and I. She's our CFO. Um, but then beyond that, that whole, you know, I think it's, 35, 3,800 square feet is like all long-term raw material storage mm-hmm. <laughs> right now. So uh, just with, you know, you hear about all this stuff on the news about the global supply chain, and I'm here to tell you that it's all true and maybe even worse than it sounds. Huh. And so some of the things that come along with that for us this year is like in the past, like with our cardboard vendor, they've been able to make all our cardboard for the year and then we could draw it in like four or five um, shipments to get to just have on hand what we need for a month or two well they don't offer that anymore so we had to take our whole season's worth of cardboard in one shot so like multiple truckloads in our in our building so that's all loaded up in a mezzanine now and then on the metals side of things that's been pretty nightmarish as well so metals that we used to and even some custom shapes like we used to be able to get those in three to six weeks. Now that timeline is more like three to six months. Wow. So we're just like hoarding tons of aluminum so we can keep, keep the mill spinning and, and keep ourselves in motion. So, you know, when we bought the building, everyone's like, ah, oh, what are you going to do with the other half of it? And I'm like, well, I'm going to give it a beat and see what we need. And the universe showed right up and was like, you need to fill this with yeah. <laughs> raw materials of all kinds if you want to try and stay in production. Um, Cause you know, there's, it's easy to, value like a base plate or something you know or a strap that's like complicated more than like a cardboard box or like a label but at at the end of the day it's like you need all that stuff you, you can't sell that. anything yeah. right so so yeah we really had to had to concentrate a lot more on the whole the whole bill of materials the whole list of things that are in each product and make sure we have them so yeah just this last week we had you know just a standard material like an eighth inch sheet of aluminum you know, that four feet by 12 feet, we make all of our crampons, heel loops, other stuff comes out of that material. 
And, you know, normally that stuff shows up in three days. Well, it gets handed off from one carrier to another and just gets stuck in limbo in Salt Lake for like three weeks. And it's just getting passed back and forth from one to the other. And we finally figured out like where it was, sort of, called Pete from Verts. Pete's a total bro, went over there, rescued it with a trailer. Then we came down and picked it up ourselves with my Tundra and a rented flatbed just to get it up to Bozeman before it got stuck in limbo again for another three weeks. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a tough time in manufacturing right now, for sure. Hmm. Um, we just have to be on top of so many things that normally used to be automatic, you know, it's like, it used to just be like Amazon for, for, uh, building supplies. And now it's like, you know, it's like Amazon, but you need to somehow call Jeff Bezos and make (laughs) arrangements for special shipping and, He's only going to have half the stuff you thought he was going to have and whatever. So, yeah, it's it's tricky. So, let me ask. I mean, for those of us who don't have to be, you know, making sure we have enough materials on hand to go build stuff, how does this work? Do you have, like, some of your suppliers, will they contact you to be like, hey, just so you know, we got a run of cardboard in or aluminum do you want to buy this right now before we give somebody else that option? Or are you always having to just like, I don't know, be checking in frequently once a month, more frequently than that to just ask, you know, do you have this? Do you have more often? It's that we are checking in. Um, And you'd like to think that these systems that people have set up, like just kind of work and the gears kind of turn, but, what really happens is that the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Yep. And so the more often you're in touch and just in their face and they know exactly what you want and need and whatever, then you're going to get your stuff. Whereas the other folks that aren't putting the time in won't. Yeah. So with us, a lot of them as well, like they have too much demand, right? Mm-hmm. And so what they're doing is they're allocating to their top customers certain amounts of, of materials and so on. And so you know, with, with one of ours, like one of our custom aluminum folks, we have X thousand pounds allotted to us per month, you know? And so we're, we've submitted POs out for the next six, eight months of exactly what we want that to be at the time. So, so yeah, you really have to be on it. You can't just, it's the opposite of like, you know, Uber Eats. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) you just need to, you need to plan your entire year ahead to make sure that you're going to get your stuff. You know, some of the savvy suppliers that are really interested in your customer satisfaction will be reaching out, especially if they see a disruption coming down the line. You know, we'll have the smart ones that are like, or the really good ones that are like, hey, man, you should really submit this PO for whatever because, you know, I don't know if you heard about whatever political event is happening in the world, but that's going to disrupt such and such and you won't be able to get it. So you know, order now and whatever. So Hmm. the really good ones will work with you, but it, so much of it is on you to just like be out in front and plan ahead so they can get you what you need. So how did it go for you guys this last season? Were you able to get enough materials on hand where you could build as much as you were hoping to build? Or did you scale back just based on, we're only going to get so many pounds of aluminum and cardboard, et cetera. So we scaled up from the year previous. We grew about 22% by volume of all of our, our SKUs, you know, mainly being the bindings, which take the most time um, to make. Um, but 
we just had one supply disruption after another. Um, and we had, you know, the worst one was like our, we used some custom aluminum shapes to make the, the base plates and the brackets. And those shipments had just been arriving like they had all the time. And then in October, we ran out of that stuff. And all of a sudden, you know, they're like, hey, I can get you these really small amounts in this long period of time. And I can just look at the hours in my machine shop. And like for one style of machine, they just like fell in half. And it took us months to get back to like full speed. So we ended up running, you know, three to four months late on deliveries on on some things this year. Other things went out on time, but it was a really hard year that way just because being late sucks. You know, it sucks for everybody involved and it's just lots of people checking in and you got bad news for them and it's like a lot of people just spinning wheels and, you know, they're just, people are just trying to get on snow and, and have fun and we want to help them out with that, of course. But it's at the end of the day, it's like sometimes you just don't have it and it's going to be a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's unpredictable when these things will be done. So hmm. we're growing by a similar amount this coming year. Um, but we invested a lot in new equipment and, you know, I've never put more into HR than I have now. And we have full-time HR person, Courtney, to try and make sure that we're, you know, stocked up on materials, stocked up on machines and have enough human power to make, make it happen. Hmm. So that's really what I've been concentrating on this year. Answer. No, you haven't pulled things back. You've been growing. You're still anticipating and preparing for growth. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the demand is through the roof. And, you know, last year we take we get all our orders in from our dealers in March and it was massive. And we're like, all right, well, this is how much we can make. So we kind of tried to fairly in a fair fashion, like trim everybody's orders back. And just here's what we can commit to actually getting you this year, you know, like you don't want me to say I can make this amount of stuff because I can't and mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all going to show up a year late or whatever. Um, and so this year, again, we had to do that, mm-hmm. you know, orders demand was huge again, um, but we're catching up to it. Mm-hmm. And so again, people were cool. They kind of knew the program from the year before. And so they were very understanding. And again, their biggest thing is, you know, they'd love to have a massive amount of stuff, but what they really need is like, I need to know how much I'm going to, how much stuff I'm going to get and yeah. when I'm going to get it so yeah. they can plan accordingly. Cause they can burn out their whole margin, just answering angry emails and yep. stuff. So, so yeah. So yeah, big growth again for this year. And, you know, I'm assuming big growth again for next year. So, hmm. um, yeah, I, I don't think we, we're not in Peloton territory. You know, we didn't, we didn't try and 10 X ourselves and then the pandemic's over and nobody likes powder anymore. You know, <laughs> like right. I think it, the, people's interest in it is is huge and now it's like it's certainly well past that tipping point where everybody who might want a split board probably has like many friends that do it not just one friend that does yeah. it you know so once it's at that point things grow pretty quickly huh. compared to back in the day when it was like there was a split board in the corner of a gear shop and yep. you know someone would look that up and look on the internet and learn about split boarding and take a chance on it whatever now it's you know the jury's the jury's in and it's like split boarding school so (laughs) everybody wants one you know so so let's let's talk about that i wanted to you know kind of make you become the spokesperson for the entire state of split boarding no pressure you know you've just (laughs) talked about your own growth at spark 
But I did kind of want to get a bit of a state of the union from you, at least as you see the world. And you don't mm-hmm. seem like the worst person to ask this question, you know, <laughs> too. Um, but like, so one answer is splitboarding is growing. Yeah. Yes. Big time. Big time. When you talk about this sort of old days of the single split board, maybe over there in the corner of the mm-hmm. shop, how long ago are you talking? Like, give me sort of an, a year, kind of the over under on that. That would have been like late 2000s, yeah. mid late 2000s. Yeah. It was like that where we, when we would go to trade shows in those days, especially in Europe, we spent a good chunk of our time just explaining what a split board was <laughs> to people. You know, they were just kind of confused, you know, and I had a lot of very well-meaning, you know, like European guys are like, man, that's not going to work. Like it's too, they're too fat. You're going to fall off the skin track, you know? And I was like, why are you going where there's a skin track? Not, not <laughs> being wise in the ways of European tour England. Uh-huh. It's like, these are kind of the highways of yes. of the back country, whatever. Cause I'm like, I don't know, man, everywhere I go, I'm like breaking trail, you yeah. know, whatever. Um, so yeah, that was, you know, kind of in that mid late two thousands up until, you know, then in the mid teens, the switch kind of flipped and everybody that was at a trade show was like, yeah, that's a split board, you know? Um, and there was a lot that went along with that, you know, certainly in terms of getting the word out, you know, Jeremy's deeper, Jeremy Jones's deeper series yeah. really got it in front of a broad audience. And there were, you know, there were tons of, of other projects before that, that were, were getting, getting the word out on it. But, you know, I mean, it's funny cause I, I assume there's a lot of people out there that might think that, Splitboarding is like two years old, but at least in the US, I mean, there were splitboards here in 96, mm. you know, and some of the oldest stuff I, I've i seen was like in 88, you know, like in Austria and stuff. Mm. So it's kind of funny that it has like European roots, went across the pond, like got big here and then went back to Europe and like <laughs> blew up over there. But, you know, a lot of, a lot of things work, work that way. So, mm. but yeah, at this point now, I mean, there's, you know, we have dealers, we have dealers like in in like london you know or in like chicago mm-hmm. that sell split boards you know where people will they'll get geared up there to take that stuff on their trip with them to places where you can tour yeah. so on so it's really you know the words out there for sure and you know it's been a cool transformation because earlier on there are a lot of like freestyle focused um or like those bigger snowboard magazines are pretty like freestyle focused here and there, they might have a little bit yeah. on split boarding, you know, to kind of show what's up. But, um, you know, now it's like snowboarding and snowboarders are quite a bit more grown up. And now there's so much more focus on, on free riding and on, on backcountry. So I think that's a healthy thing for the sport as a whole, because it just shows that, you know, I don't think there's ever been a better time to be a snowboarder because there's so many ways to do it. Hmm. You know, I mean, it's everything from shredding park to pow surfing to, you know, high alpine. I mean, tons of friends have been up to Nolly on split boards and stuff. So there's just so many ways to, to snowboard and, and, you know, do it your whole life. It's not just, you know, falling down some stairs, and, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, hitting your head on a rail and whatever. So, <laughs> you know, there's, yeah, there's so many ways to do it. So. So I wanted to kind of see if we could suss out some similarities and differences between ski touring gear and split boarding gear and kind of the Mm -hmm. respective scenes, right? Sure. One of the things that we certainly see happening on the 
like alpine touring side, AT side of the ski world is, you know, it's a pretty common story where we have people pretty new to skiing buying at bindings and at skis and skins right and like they really maybe haven't spent that much time like doing any kind of skiing mm-hmm. to me my hunch is that that's not exactly true on the splitboarding side of things but i figured you might have a take on this yeah, well, those well-meaning folks are here <laughs> on the splitboard side as well. You know, we we d- participate in a number of these split fests, and usually with those, there's a really um, awesome demo setups to those. So you can come by and not even, um, you know, without spending a dollar, get like rigged up an entire split setup to go and try out, um, which is great because it's it is expensive. Uh, compared to conventional snowboarding. And so people can try it first and see if they like it. You know, that's great um, to get into the sport. But, you know, I had an experience where took a group into the backcountry and this woman had demoed a a really directional board, you know, huge nose, like no no tail to it whatsoever. And um, we locked out and it dumped. And we're trying to drop in from you know, drop in on this local spot and I see her and she's just like eating it, you know, left and right, like every 40 feet, you know? And so I go over to kind of check on her and see what's up. And she's trying to ride that board backwards in pow. Wow. And I was like, Oh, are you, are you goofy? You know, she's like, no, I'm regular. And I'm like, you know, to me, it's like alarm bells. I'm like, you don't, you're not a, (laughs) confident enough snowboarder that you couldn't tell this board was set up backwards for you you know when you took it out and so in the field like switched your stance luckily our stuff's easy enough to work with that you could do that um and got her set up you know properly and then you know after that like falls half as much but is still eating it Mm. all over the place Mm. you know and so i think there's there's folks out there that think they can they just want to skip like the resort scene altogether, mm-hmm. which I can, I can relate to, but man, you still got to get your legs under you. Cause you can just get yourself in so much trouble, you know, and especially that spot we were, it's one of those places where like the line is like, it's a little funky, you know, it's like for part of it, you can go straight part of it. You got to hang right. And part of it, you got to hang left. Um, and if you don't do that, like you are just in a thicket, mm-hmm. you know, like in a drainage and you know, if you've, spent your time at the resort it's typically like well if you go downhill you'll pop out somewhere and this is not that place you know like people have died going further down the drainage because it doesn't pop out anywhere it's just more more of a thicket you know whatever and so it is pretty spooky for people that don't that just don't have their game together enough or it's like you're gonna you just won't be able to navigate your way back because you're not a competent enough snowboarder, which I'm sure you see on same thing on the ski side. So, you know, there is that, you know, I'm typically telling people it's like at a minimum, you should be a real solid blue square with a sprinkling of black diamonds, like snowboarder before you're even thinking about backcountry. And there are like really easy spots to shred for sure. But you need an expert to show you where those places are hmm. because you know, the ungroomed just natural backcountry can go from green to 
double triple black and to just like this doesn't work (laughs) you know like so yeah it's you need to have a certain amount under you or someone to show you like yeah here is this like 25 degree never gonna slide powder field where you could just like get your legs under you Hmm. as a snowboarder but yeah it's people zero in on like abbey danger in terms of like dangers of the backcountry but like just being able to navigate and negotiate are huge ones as well um you know especially around here it's like there's been some really sad losses in the backcountry of just people just like just getting lost and and freezing overnight you know kind of thing and not making it out where it's like you know these are places where it's like i've gone you know by myself headlamp over and over again like piece of cake you know but you need to know where the turn is to get back to the trail otherwise you're just just lost in the woods so Maybe a follow-up question to this. We also, you know, hear a lot about skiers buying AT gear that, you know, it's almost a, you know, it's a bit of a joke, right? That so much of this AT gear actually never gets used in the backcountry and people Mm -hmm. are only rocking their tech, you know, their tech bindings inbounds at a ski area. Yeah. I feel like that's less of a thing with split boards. But maybe I'm also wrong about that, where people are like, no, I just want my one setup that's going to do everything. But I like I don't feel like I see a bunch of split boards in chairlift lines. Sure. Yeah, I think it depends on the resort you're going to. You know, Bridger, there's you'll find a lot of people riding their splits all over the place because then they've got the option they to got just the option. skin out the gate. Yeah. You know, and it is... Getting to your vehicle and back if you wanted to trade out midday is kind of a painful process. Yeah. So, you know, it, a lot of people will just shred their splitty. Um, but, you know, luckily for us, I mean, since our gear is, there's a lot less complexity to it. Like my split setup is a lot more full on than some like ultra lightweight, like schemo type setup. So, you know, what, what we don't have, which you guys may have where it's like someone buys, you know, an an ultra light setup and then they think they can go and just bash around at the resort at it all the time. And then they, and then they just wear it out, you know? And, um, you know, I know with some of those like schemo race boots, I mean, they're pretty much like, please don't train in these. Like this is like your race day boot, you know, you're going to wear it out instantly. Um, and so for us, like we are, we're on the, the light end of things, um, you know, both for, for our soft boot and our hard boot stuff. Um, but even at, those weights like things hold up real well um just because they we don't have so much like tiny little detailed stuff as you have like with the with the tech binding and so on um and i guess what we don't have now is like there's like some brands that are you know they're kind of more on that end where it's like yeah you can split with this binding but most people are you know using it mostly for resort like a little bit but not really you know most of that stuff still tours just fine Mm -hmm you know, it's not, it's not what I would want to ride cause it's going to be pretty heavy, um, for what I'm, what I'm used to and so on. But by and large, everything seems to like hold up. It's just like how, how much effort are you going to put into it to, to get around with it? And we don't have the same issues where it's like, if you're a DIN, you know, 16, 18 skier, like you're going to need a really heavy duty, like ski setup. Right. Um, whereas like for us, it's like, stuff's pretty full on like you have to be getting pretty 
gnarly mm-hmm. before you're going to just like explode mm-hmm. split gear, at least for, you know, free riding stuff. Like if you're, you know, building giant cheese wedges and sending your double cork in the back country, like you're probably not going to do that on a splitty, mm-hmm. but in terms of just like free riding, the stuff holds up well, but you know, there's some other gear coming onto the market for this coming year. And, you know, people love to tell me like their mixed reviews on it and whatever, but we'll just see. There could be some of that stuff where it's kind of like you're talking about, where it's like it's maybe aspirational mm-hmm. backcountry gear, but at the end of the day, it doesn't actually hold up. Or, you know, people think of it as like, yeah, splitboarders, you know, like one run at the end of the Vier Resort day, right? Like that's what splitboarders do. And it's like, well, that's what some splitboarders mm-hmm. do. Other folks, it's just all day long, you know, 12 hour missions and there's not a chair left involved with it yeah. anywhere. Yeah. So where are we at with the age old question that we love so much here at blister about weight and like how weight conscious, this is a big generalization of course, but sure. like how weight conscious is the kind of split board scene. And is it like people are really weight conscious about the board itself or the binding itself, you know, et cetera. Obviously there's a range of opinions on that in the ski touring world, but I would say as a generalization, certainly once you bring Europe into it, there seemed to be a lot of pressure on manufacturers to kind of keep getting, like keep dropping grams. Yeah. And I think- I mean, I think I'm putting more pressure on myself with that than the the market is. Hmm. Um, but it is, you know, there's always there's always like a little gram race going on, you know, <laughs> with with the different manufacturers. But our line is split into what we call our our standard bindings, and then we have our our pro editions, which feature like more premium materials, and those are like the lighter build. Mm-hmm. Um, but by sales numbers, you know, I think we're like maybe 10 or 15% pro huh. and the rest is standard. And again, even our standard stuff is lighter than most of our competitor stuff. Huh. But much of, you know, the vast majority of the market is people on our, you know, our heavier bindings and on fiberglass split boards. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you do, you're starting to see more and more folks um, and the technology has come so far on the carbon splits themselves where you know, that's, if you're going to spend money, start there. Cause you save like a pound, you know, <laughs> off of, compared to a glass board, but then the weight savings are pretty substantial on the bindings side of things as well. So, um, so yeah, I would say maybe compared to skiing, like a little bit less weight conscious, but mm. you know, it's the full spectrum. I mean, yeah. we have, we have folks who are, you know, they are wanting to get a hard boot set up and those, you know, those AT race boots, you know, to have just the lightest thing ever and we'll lycra it up a little bit. Um, but then, you know, then you've also got guys that are just like, ah, wait, mate, you know, heavy's good. Heavy's dependable, mm-hmm. heavy, uh, <laughs> you know, all that heavy, uh, bashes through Chandra. So we, we have the full spectrum. Mm-hmm. It's probably not as wide as it is in skiing, mm-hmm. you know, like you don't, you don't have like a tiny little, you know, whatever would be the analogy to like a set of 150 like schemo race skis and also like the super sandy, you know, din, dinfinity <laughs> kind of set up. But, um, but yeah, we do have, you know, there are, there's people that chase gramps and then there's a lot of people who are like gram schmams. They have six beers in their backpack, you know, yeah. like they don't, they're not really concerned about that. So. Hmm. 
I'd love to hear you dive into the details on a couple of specific Spark products. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they're oldies but goodies. Maybe it's latest greatest. Maybe you want to talk about it because it did represent a bit of a breakthrough in your opinion. You know, maybe you just love what's happening from a design point of view. But like, if I kind of give you that open-ended question like that, what do you want to talk about? Mm-hmm. I mean, our big, you know, big milestones we're getting into what we call our, our Tesla system bindings, which we've had on the market for quite a while now. But that was when we got away from the pin on a cable approach to attaching your board, you know, your bindings to your board. Yep. Um, so that, you know, that is going strong. We actually just discontinued our, our pin model bindings. We kind of kept them in there as like a entry level, more economical version for people to have. And the orders were so small on those were like, this isn't worth having in here, you know? And I think as we've seen, even in, in tough times, like people want a new iPhone and they want to buy a Tesla and whatever, you know, when it comes to like spending money on their favorite stuff, like people can find money (laughs) and make it, make it happen. So, you know, they want, they want the better stuff. So, so our Tesla bindings, you know, they're, they're, it's an elegant design where you just lift up the, the tow ramp on the binding and you can slide it on the pucks and snap that down to attach in board mode, or you pull up that same ramp and slide it uh, sideways into a bracket, kind of the way a, a door goes on a Jeep and snap that same ramp down and that attaches you both ways. So super easy transition there. Um, so that is that is pretty tried and true with our, our bindings from next year, but then we do have some nice updates that are coming along. Um, we built the climbing wires into the base plates of the bindings. Hmm. And so those are, you know, they're a little closer to your, they're close to your heels, so they're easy to get at with your ski pole. Um, and we've added a little bar that sticks out of the side over time to make it easier to deploy those and stow them. Uh, well, new for next year, that bar was, um, in the past was stainless and we were welding it onto the wire itself. And so we had some, some stainless on aluminum contact in the base plate, which normally would hold up pretty well. Might need some chapstick here, here and there to not get sticky. Um, but, you know, we wanted to move into something that's more maintenance free over time. So now we're doing um, what we call our ST whammy bars in these base plates where we're, we're actually molding plastic over the stainless wires to both form that the little uh, whammy bar that sticks out that makes it easy to deploy as well as now it's all that's what contacts the base plate so it went from stainless on aluminum to plastic on on aluminum and so now this you know you can use these things for the lifetime and they never get sticky and they stay easy to to deploy um so that's a that's a new process for us like molding plastic over metal parts we haven't done that in production before and we're doing that um on a mix of products this year and so that's a new ground for us but from a manufacturing standpoint there's some really nice parts to that you know there's no there's no welding there's no press fits you don't need different fasteners you know like kind of eliminating that and these different different components um and just making it more of like a unibody kind of product um and then with the the bindings as well this year we have an update to our high back so now we have a new new asymmetric shape. In the past, we had we had symmetric highbacks, so there wasn't a left and right, which is nice on the manufacturing side of things. But 
you can imagine when you stand there on your board, like yeah. your feet are further apart than your hips are. So your yeah. legs are at an angle. Um, so it's nice to have the high back match that angle. So you're not, you're not fighting the high back to kind of lean, um, you know, towards the nor- nose or towards the tail on the board. Um, and the high back's always right behind your leg when you do want to turn, you know, heel side real sharp. So essentially we're trying to add, um, maintain the response, but add some more maneuverability to it. So that's with the, that's the idea with the new, um, ASIM high back shape. So yeah, that's what I've been working on for a couple of years and it adds a bit of complication in house. Cause now we have a left and a right high back and we need two separate parts of the mold to do that. And we got to keep them straight in assembly and all that good stuff. But again, it'll pay off in a more, you know, this is not new ground in snowboard bindings. If you go and look at most premium snowboard bindings in the shop, they're going to be, uh, asymmetric yeah. and ergonomic. So we're trying to step it up on the, you know, add some things on the ride side as well. Cause a lot of what we've concentrated over the years is making the touring part better, which is super important, right? If you can't tour, you're not going to, you're not going to ride it, <laughs> but you also want the ride to be super good too. So we're trying to build in more, uh, more features on that, that side of things. So let's pull back out then for a second. And since I'm you know, still forcing you to answer these state of the union type questions about, you know, split boarding. You've talked about it. It's cool for you all to see these improvements happening with spark products on the ride side. Where would you generalize and say that most of the design progress has been made in the last say three years or so? When it comes to, say, the boards themselves or the boots or the bindings or the skins, give you those four categories. Hmm. That is a good question. Hmm. Why, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I do. I feel like boards and bindings have been working real hard and there's lots of, there's just so many good options out there now on the boards side of things. Um you know, and us on the binding side, you know, myself and, or, you know, Spark and our competitors, like we're, we're cruising right along there as well and offering new options for people out there and more dependability and so on. Um, the boots side of things, I see there are a lot of companies working really hard on that front, but especially on the soft boot side of things, there isn't like one breakthrough boot mm-hmm. to like rule them all. Um, I've been on the Burton Tourist for a long time and I really love that boot. Um, I just feel like it out of the box, it gets everything done that I need it to do. But um, everyone has a different foot, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's it's interesting, you know, watching the AT side from afar, it was like when the Dina Fit like kind of slim, slim down boots came out, you know, years ago. At first those looked weird. And now those are normal, Uh (laughs) you know, and everything else kind of looks weird by comparison. Um, And we haven't seen that on the split boarding side of things so much, at least on the soft boot side. There are tons and tons of good options that ride powder well and are like good. There's also a lot of really good like snowboard mountaineering boots that are out there. But no one has kind of like changed the whole game of like, this is the feature set you need going forward. And if you don't have it, you're just, you're blowing it, you know? Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I mean, that stuff continues to advance and people are trying new and different things. 
um, on that front. But yeah, it hasn't like kind of unified into that one recipe of like, this is the way and here we go yep. on the on the boot side. But I think too, you know, one of the beautiful things about, you know, soft boot snowboarding is that there's not a ton of tooling involved. So, you can have this whole rainbow of options that are out there, but then it's, yeah, it just hasn't, hasn't kind of like coalesced into, into one, one version yet, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, I would say kind of compared to the other things, like if you had your split board or your bindings or your skins for that matter from a decade ago, and you hopped onto this modern stuff, you'd be like, oh, heck yeah, I'm mm-hmm. never going back, yep. you know, or even even stuff from like two or three years ago, huh. especially with the carbon boards. Um, but the boots, you know, it's the changes have been more subtle than that, you know, and there are lots of people that need to, you know, we see them and they need to buy whatever the brand new binding and board is, you know, every year, every other year. Mm-hmm. And then they're rocking like super old boots <laughs> that yeah. are all, you know, but to them, the value in that boot is that it's super comfortable and broken in. Um, so... Yeah, and I don't. I'm not trying to shade all my friends that that aren't going to talk to me anymore that work in boot design or whatever. <laughs> um, but it's just like it just hasn't. You haven't seen the changes abrupt over there. Um, but it's also me being kind of ignorant on the soft soft goods kind of things because I'm sure they're like, "What are you talking about? You know, mm. these things are way more breathable and waterproof, and the foam's lighter, and the outsole lasts longer, and all that stuff." So, you know, certainly like the overall quality is is coming along as the gear. Um, modernizes and matures Mm -hmm. um but you just haven't seen like you know oh this was a boot from before this splitboard boot revolution and this is one from after Mm -hmm. if that that kind of makes sense so yeah um but it's coming i mean there's now you know i mean again there's so much interest in it and then the numbers are are bumping up and up so i'm sure the you know behind the scenes conversations and budgets and things that people are trying you know on the boot side is is you know following along with the growth of the sport so i think we're we're poised to see some really cool stuff in the future but i mean some of it as well is just kind of that conversation of like you know it would be the same for you on like what is an at boot and you'd be like well what do you want to do yep (laughs) you know because that boot is i mean even in you know at which is arguably you know more mature than like the splitboard side of things I mean, it's pretty insane to go, you know, go to our local like AT shop of Hill Pursuits here and there's 30 tech bindings on the wall. Yep. And it's like, wow, these little demographics are sliced up this thin Yep. in between all these things that would guide you in this direction or that. Whereas I think in the past people have kind of thought like, this is the split boarding boot, mm-hmm. which is like more of a split board mountaineering boot. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, I maybe throw on boot crampons a couple times a year yep you know almost all the time i'm chasing powder and so generally just need like a mid supportive boot with good like rear flex so my stride isn't tiny (laughs) and i'm good to go um but to some people they're like well if it doesn't have you know if it doesn't work with a semi-automatic crampon then it's not a splitboarding boot (laughs) i'm like man there's like a big trade-off for that you know, to do one of those things versus the other kind of thing. So I would like to see, um, you know, brands have like not a split boarding boot, but like, here's like our three or, you know, more split boarding boots, you know, or it's like, this is kind of the snowboard mountaineering one. And this one is the like powder chaser. And this is kind of the do it all in between or something, you know, stuff like that. Just like you see with the snowboard boots in general. So, yeah. Yeah. I think there's the most fertile ground there. 
um, as well as like there, there could be some, there's some pretty awesome potential for kind of adopting some hard boot stuff into soft boots and making some kind of hybrid stuff hmm. that could be pretty awesome for sort of everything. Hmm. Um, but those things don't, they don't really exist right now as well as like, you know, there's already a walk mode on the high back. Do you also need like a walk mode on your boot or is just like having some elastic on the back so it has rear flex and then you let the high back do its job, kind of get it done without adding three extra boas and two other Velcro straps plus a zipper and, you know, yeah. <laughs> whatever else. So, you know, there's always that challenge of like, what's the best piece of gear with the minimum addition of new stuff to it? Um, you know, and I think that's where we've seen our competitors sometimes like confuse like complexity with features or something Mm -hmm. or like performance, you Mm -hmm. know, which I'm sure, you know, that that happens all over the place where it's like you go into the bike shop and some guy wants to buy something that's got a gajillion different parts and pieces to it and switches and all this stuff. And the one that actually works better where it doesn't need switches because it's just like tuned right, maybe doesn't have as much like shelf appeal or something. Yeah. So, you know, I think that that goes across all things that get made, you know, where it's like, which one is the, the elegant one that gets the job done the best with the minimum amount of pieces yeah, and, and max durability and minimum weight and all that good stuff. So great, great answer to that question, man. I think, yeah. So I think it, if I heard you correctly, you didn't quite say this is what you expect to happen. I don't think this was quite a prediction. And yet I think this was a prediction and something I would put some money on. We will continue to see more specification when it comes to split boarding gear, right? Just like you were saying, we have all of these slivers in the AT world. I think Mm -hmm. we will only continue to see more nicheification specification in the split boarding world. So I, I would actually put money on that. I think you would with me. No. Sure. Okay. And then <laughs> the idea of a hybrid sort of soft and hard boot, that's pretty interesting. Somebody's got to be playing with that already. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of boot stuff going on and there's, you know, our, our friends over at Phantom, like they have their, their slipper boot, which is a modified like atomic backland mm-hmm. that um, the hard booters are hyped on. And then uh, other friends of ours, um, Hampus and uh, Tall, have a company called Key Equipment over in Europe. And they have another, theirs is a little more hybrid ish of a, a hard and soft boot um, that's coming out. And then, yeah, our friends at, at Nitro and, and Burton and Solomon are all working hard on boot stuff k2 does cool boot stuff as well um you know 32 with jeremy jones and other folks they do a bunch of split boot stuff so it's coming for sure i think there's you know in terms of the most i think like the most potential i think there's a lot there's a lot there you know there's kind of like of the real estate that's filled up whereas on the the board or the yeah the board and and binding side like it's just a little bit more built out, mm-hmm. if that makes sense to continue the metaphor or analogy. Mm-hmm. I always forget which is which. So <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah. I, but in general, like I, I totally agree with you. Like there'll be more specificity and more coolification for your niche mm. coming down the line compared to just 
this is the split board and this is the binding. Like, here you go. You know, one option like those, those days have been gone for a long time. And I mean, if you just look at the variety of shapes that are available now, it's pretty mind boggling. Um, you know, split boards get pretty darn quivery, Mm -hmm. um, with, with what's available out there. So Hmm. yeah, there's a lot of people are super psyched to find, find a niche and, and, uh, answer it well. Hmm. Well, Will, I want to let you get going here soon, but I also know, you know, you, you've, you've listened to your share of gear 30 episodes and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we do a little thing at the end of the show where we do our, what we're celebrating this week's segment. And Mm -hmm. I guess I'd like to put the question to you. Is there anything you're celebrating that I ought to, you know, raise a glass to later tonight? I mean, gosh, any other year it sounds so mundane, but I'm just celebrating like the 17,000 pounds of aluminum that I unloaded like (laughs) last Saturday morning at like (laughs) from eight to noon. It's just like, okay, it's here, you know, like we're cool because without that, like nothing else happens, you know? And then shortly thereafter that, like we're hiring in a bunch of different departments right now. So anybody out there looking to, to work in snowboard in the snow business, check out our website. We've got all sorts of openings, but it's that wonderful time of year when all these all these little spring chickens that are in school start hatching into graduates. Mm -hmm. And so now we're starting to get lots of resumes in the door after, you know, some of these positions we've been trying to hire for a couple months without much response. And so, you know, it's kind of like that, that dam is breaking as well. Thankfully, you know, it's like, okay, there are people out there. (laughs) Like we will fill these positions and we will, you know, have a successful production year. So yeah, those are, those are my super, super exciting. <laughs> I love that. This is going to be, we're going to raise I mean, a, we're going to raise a glass to having 17,000 pounds of aluminum. That's amazing. Dude, yeah. Here's, here's to 17,000 pounds of aluminum and yeah. to the incredibly bright, hardworking, dedicated new grads who are about to send in their resumes, having listened That's to right. this and you know, if Will comes back and says that one of you ended up applying because you heard it on Gear 30 and then you turn out to be a slacker or something, he's <laughs> going to tell me and I'm going to call you out. So just let's just have the, the top shelf, hardworking, smart folks get into Bozeman, go build some cool stuff. And uh, yeah, I always think it's wise to threaten people, Will. That's kind of my like <laughs> that's my hiring style. Actually, it's you can Jonathan literally Ellsworth ask school. Yeah, you can actually management. literally ask some of our people. It's kind of true. But yeah, you know, you want to threaten initially, but that like keeps a high bar and it kind of gets the riffraff, you know, weeded out of there. So um, you know, good good applications only, but let's go let's go help spark make cool stuff in Bozeman. Well, I think this audience is ideal. I mean, this is the gear 30 podcast, right? right? Like these are gearheads. So if you want to come and build gear, like hit us up. (laughs) Well, Hey, um, it's always fun to catch up, Will. And, um, we, we took too long. Uh, you know, I mean, I think a little pandemic maybe had something to do with that, but, um, it's really cool hearing about what you're doing, how much spark has been growing, yeah, so I really appreciate the time today. And then I do actually now kind of really hope that you get a couple of cool 
new employees uh, from this conversation. That'd be, that'd make me feel real good. Awesome. Well, I'll let you know, and I will certainly let you know if they are slackers. Oh, yeah, dude. So. <laughs> dude, for sure. <laughs> All right, man. Um, hey, say hi to Becca for us. Um, say hi to your crew at Spark, and uh, we're wishing you guys all the best. Awesome. Thanks a ton, Jonathan. Great to get to wrap out with you after way too long, mm. and let's do it uh, again mid-next season and uh, not not let so much time go by in between. Here, here. Yeah, and maybe in person. And maybe what a in, radical and, thought. <laughs> and maybe maybe in your neck of the woods. So come on up. Okay. Okay. Um, all right, ma'am. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this edition of Gear 30. I want to say thanks to Will for the conversation. And now at 12:30 a.m. This is Tuesday, May 10th. I've got to run upstairs. And raise a glass. I'm going to raise a glass of Whistle Pig, 15-year-old, actually, of course, to the 17,000 pounds of aluminum. But I'm also going to raise a glass because I'm heading to Iceland in a few hours. I will already be there by the time you're hearing this. But really excited to get back to Iceland, going with some great people. Should be an excellent trip. And honestly kind of ready for a trip. So this is fantastic. And that's what I'm raising a glass to. Finally, I did want to say for those of you who do end up applying for a job, if you get a job at Spark R&D and you're one of the good ones, we're going to invite you on to Gear 30. You can talk about it. So if you needed any more incentive, you know, apply. If you're a hard worker, get that job at Spark R&D. And then we'll have you on Gear 30. We'll talk about your experience. How's that? I think we should do that. So anyway, that's what we got for you today. I need to sign off. I need to actually start packing. I should probably go do that. So I'm going to get out of here and thank the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode and say thanks to all of you for listening. All right. Bye, everybody. Have a great weekend. And we'll talk to you soon.